Welcome to the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports podcast. It's a podcast now. If you've taken the course, theoryofdfs.com, it's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. All the game theory of DFS for all sports. It's concepts that apply regardless if you play NFL, NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, esports, any any platform, any site. Uh, the concepts that uh, most of the top pros utilize uh, that you may not. And that's what's giving them uh, an edge, especially in GPPs, over you. And uh, I'm one of the co-instructors, uh, Jordan Cooper, and I'm joined for for this first episode. We'll be doing this uh, every week, uh, probably on Tuesdays, uh, going over uh, some of the decision-making that we've made in past slates, talk about some of the concepts, how, how the DFS landscape has changed, how to apply some of the concepts that uh, you may have uh, listened to in the audio course. And uh, I know James uh, did the main course with me. And James is great at modeling. Uh, not not physical modeling, but but <laughs> analytics, you know, that type of stuff, uh, which is not necessarily my strength. I know the basics, but I'm not advanced with that. I'm, I'm more into, into the game theory aspects. And I play primarily, uh, other than cash games, uh, large field GPPs. So I wanted to bring on... Uh, as 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 a new new instructor, if you want to call him an instructor, uh, Eric Bimefor, who you you focus primarily on the small field, single entry three max, more more in the higher stakes, the live final qualifiers, those types of contests where you're not building a hundred lineups. Like I play those contests, I play the power sweep in NFL or or the spy single entry, but that's like the secondary part. Like it's almost like. Like, I'll make a cash lineup, and then I'll focus very heavily on my $9 slant builds, my millimaker build. Like, I'm building 100 lineups and seeing I'm maximizing correlation, maximizing leverage. Like, I'm looking for first place equity. These lineups are like, like, I, I need to get to the sky. Yet, in the smaller field stuff, that's typically what I do like an hour before and go, okay, what are my best directions? Because I'm looking at the, at, at the field. I'm looking to, to, to exploit what other people are doing. And I could find 20 different directions to go. So it's like in 100 lineups, let me try all 20 directions and maybe one of them <laughs> hits. But in, in these small field contests, you have to kind of pick your, your, your three best directions. And then it may be really close. So you have a lot more experience uh, with, with those types of contests with, with, with great success. And it, they're easier to win, but they're, the competition in those contests are harder. So uh, one, one for the for the first episode, at least uh, explain uh, your background and in uh, in why you focus on those contests versus the large field or the cash games. Yeah. So well, first of all, I'm excited to to have you know the, this chat with you with you every week. Um, I've found that talking to people like you has like really helped my process too. You know, it, it, nobody knows everything. I still make mistakes. I don't know anything. I make mistakes all the time. People, people sometimes look at my lineups, some, one of my lineups in this land and go, why did you play this guy and that guy together? I go, uh, because I made a mistake. <laughs> because yeah, yeah, right. one out of a hundred lineups, I just, I, I missed it. I, I, I screwed up. Right. So uh, it's good to kind of look back. You know, I like to look back at past slates and, and analyze it, you know, not just from, oh, you know, shit, that guy scored 10 points. I, you know, I shouldn't have played him. That's obvious. But looking at what other people are doing, looking at roster builds, look at what my roster build was and, and, you know, see where I made mistakes or, or where it was successful. Even, you know, like I didn't have a great week five, um, but I don't 
feel too, you know, it's one of those kind of rare weeks, I guess, where I don't really feel too bad about most of the most of the decisions. So, um, you know, bring, bringing it back to like my kind of approach, you know, I I got into DFS. I can't even remember. It's kind of been a while now, maybe six or seven years ago, something like that. Not at the very beginning. Um, but, you know, I wasn't a poker player. I was more so a sports better, but just kind of recreational gambler, you know, degenerate, whatever, having fun playing sports, et cetera. And played season long, you know, everything and got into to DFS and tried everything. You know, I tried, you know, playing a bunch of teams in the Sunday Million. I tried, FanDuel was where I started. I tried, you know, playing the Wildcat, whatever. I tried a bunch of different stuff. And then with, you know, everybody gets lucky here and there. I got a little lucky early on, but I had no idea what I was doing. And then, you know, you piss away all those early winnings because you think you, you think you know everything. And then, you know, I just started experimenting with like, okay, let's take a, let's stop for a second here and figure out what am I doing? You know, how can I actually win at this? Like dumping, dumping 20, $25 entries into co- this huge contest. You know, I'm just donating every week. I'm hitting the deposit button every single week. And, um, I, I was like, okay, you know, if I get into, if I try these smaller field contests, you know, at the time I could maybe afford 50 bucks or a hundred bucks as like an entry fee into the, you know, maybe on a good week, a few hundred bucks on these you know smaller fields where I have to compete against less people. Yes, they're better. Like you said, you know, if you play the luxury box as an example now, you know, at, at higher stakes, I mean, the competition is, is tough. It's all the best players in the world and it's their best lineups. So the cash line is definitely higher. However, the winning score is, is typically a whole lot lower. So I just started there, not even really understanding like the game theory aspect and all that. I'm like, okay, this makes sense to me because I suck at making a bunch of teams. <laughs> I'm just donating. So let's try beating less people. So I had a little bit of moderate success there and it just kind of snowballed where I just started becoming obsessed with kind of studying that and studying what these really good players are doing. You know, what is CSU doing? What is Osmo doing? What is Empire Maker doing, et cetera? And figuring out how... I can, you know, use that to my advantage. They're playing the best plays, right? They're 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 making optimal decisions, but I'm playing against them. I'm not trying to outproject them. So once it's just kind of a snowball of, you know, step by step by step figuring out what works best for me and uh figuring out, you know, that I'm playing a game against other people and the best, you know, the best way for me personally to make money is playing against as few as few of those people, even if they're a little bit more, you know, even if the, the lineups are a little bit more skillful. So, you know, I've just spent the last few years really trying to spend as much time as I can studying those people and and, you know, how to beat them just a couple times a year. Right. You know, I think I've had one good year out of or one good week out of five this this year so far, um, which, you know, maybe isn't. You know what I would what I would hope for, but you get 17 shots at it and then some. Um, so I'm really just trying to strategize around how to beat those guys, you know, three or four times a year. And you've had a great year. Right. So you, so your approach is like different from mine. Like I, I view because it is the biggest factor, opponent strength. But you're sacrificing the skill edge to have uh a better win probability. So like your, your variance is going to be lower because you're playing smaller fields. Like I view it as where are the dumbest people? Well, the dumbest people (laughs) are are in the large field 
low stakes mm -hmm. entries contest. Now, obviously on DraftKings, I'm past a million in lifetime entries, so I can't enter like the $1 20 max. I can't enter the, you know, right. the, the quarter arcades, but that's where I started. So it's like, it's mm -hmm. not, you know, I didn't just get money out of the blue. I started, that's how <laughs> I learned how to play. But now, like, I take a look at and I analyze lineups in the, the play action uh, $3 contest, the $9 slant, the milli even, you know, like the really large field stuff. And I see, essentially, the rake is paid for me. Like, the, yeah. that, that there is no, like, there, there are enough lineups that have virtually zero win equity. Either because they're constructed so poorly that, like, they have a hard time cashing. I mean, coming in... <laughs> in the top, you know, 80th percentile of even, like, getting any money. Or yep. built where it's maximizing for that 80th percentile, and they have virtually no shot at winning first place. So it's like all that, and all, and we know in those large field contests, the all, all the money's in the top spots. So, yep. like, you're not going to min cash enough that you're profitable. So looking at those lineups is more than 16% of the lineups in the contests, those types of lineups. I find that it's more than 16%. So me, I view those contests, even at 16% rake, as more advantageous. It just takes a long time to realize that EV. Because, right, right. Because, you know, you, you, you know I, I've binked four of those types of large field GPPs over five years. Because I also don't play 150 entries. I reduce my variance mm -hmm. by doing that. I'm a nit. So, like, I am, <laughs> I do play large field GPPs, but I am a nit in how I play them. That I'm yeah. not going to invest, you know, $1,500 into one contest with 150 lineups. I'll play 50, right? And I just use my best directions. I'll go, I'm going to take a stand here. I'm going to I'm gonna find my correlation, find my leverage, and just do that over and over again. That's why you see in MLB, you know, people will tweet me out whenever, like, the Marlins or the Tigers or the Pirates or someone scores 15 runs. They assume <laughs> that I have some type of vomit stack, and that's the day that I win. I mean, like, but I'm just playing for those days. So, like, my my roto tracker graph is there's still going to be swings, but it'd be less so. But mm -hmm. you probably have more consistent returns, but you're paying less rake. But also the, yeah. the, the field strength, you're not going to find 20% of the lineups in the, in, the, in the spy or the power sweep as, like, you look at them and go, like, they're just throwing their money in the toilet. Yeah. So it becomes a, a different game, right? Like, you know, and, and I'm focusing even, you know, wildcat game changer luxury bucks. I really am focusing like, uh, I really like the, uh, which I think uh, Peter Overzet and Mike Leone and Joe Holka won a couple of weeks ago. The, the game changers, a $1,500 single entry, like 160 lineups or something like that. It's a, uh, it's just a really good contest. The payout structure is, is, is pretty good. The rake is great. So like contests like that, um, yeah, sure. It, you know, nobody wants to lose $1,500, but there's so few people that I'm playing against that the, you know, the, the quote unquote edges become a little bit different, right? Yes. There are not, there's not 10% of those lineups that are just dead off the bat. There's a few, there, there's always a few, you know, right, you always get, you, you like, just like in poker, you'll see it. You'll see a table of eight, like pros that know that they're yeah. trading money amongst each other. And there's two seats, one or two seats open. And there'll be some guy coming out of the boxing match or something or the nightclub. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, that's a, that basically a rich guy, like not someone. It's someone that there are people that play DFS that, you know, that they make a lot of money and playing for five bucks is not entertaining to them. So they right. want to play for $1,500. So like, 
I understand the 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 Empire Maker ten thousand dollar head to heads or whatever. Like <laughs> like he's the one picking those people up. He has to face the best competition weekly and daily to do that because he's he, mm-hmm. that marginal percentage edge that he may think he has over people. But I mean that that's a viable way. There are plenty of, of professional poker players that you never heard of that make tons of money in private games. They're very good at the politics of poker in getting in the games with the big business owners and the celebrities, and they don't have to be the best players. That's why I always say that the opponent's strength is going to matter so much more than mm-hmm. anything else. And then how you play, I think this is where, where we're leading towards, because yep. I know you've talked about it on on Q Hunting, on uh, Roto Grinders, because you're there, you do the premium showdown content and some of the NFL content. I'm obviously there. You know, you'll play whatever you want and vomit stacks and do whatever, whatever. Uh, and uh, how you play against people in the same way, I always bring it back to poker, because I mean, I that my entire teaching style is very similar to like the two plus two books, David Sklansky, mm-hmm. Mason Malmuth. Like that's how I grew up. Uh, playing poker in the early 2000s that uh how you're ta- like it's it's almost like table image how how the other players perceive you and how you perceive the other players <clears throat> drastically affects your own strategy when you play against bad players like i my strength in poker is playing against average players that's my biggest strength when you play against bad players in poker there's no there's no stra- advanced strategy that could beat them they're playing too many hands and taking them too far. So you beat them by the strength of your you basically you're you're folding all your weakest hands and you're just value betting. So that's the similar in DFS to I'm just gonna play the best projected lineup and let other people make mistakes. So that's like in double ups where you're just like yep. just give me the optimal lineup and let other people make the mistakes. Average yep. players and in, in poker have like the base knowledge. Like they understand the basic concepts. But I know that they understand the basic concepts, so I can exploit that. So it's like they're gonna, I'm gonna bet here, and they're gonna think I'm doing this as a continuation bet, but it's not. It's actually the nuts, and like I'm mm-hmm. hoping they make a play at me because the bad player won't. The bad player will just go, "I have a pair of threes, I call," and just keep, and hope <laughs> their hand is the best at the end. So I just have the value bet there. But the average player, like I know how the average player thinks. So I can exploit that. And then good. Then when you're dealing with other good players, now you're going to the third level. Now you're like, they know what I think they know and whatever. <laughs> so now you're, now it's a battle of, well, you, I'm betting here and that you, he, I'm, he's thinking that you think it's this, but I'm going to, I'm going to re-raise him here with like air. And if he calls, I'm just, I'm just going to shove on the river and, and hopefully a scare card comes up that he can't call me with second pay. Like, you can't do that against bad players. They just call too much. Like you just, you have to value bet. And like that's, right. that's in DFS, that would be like the projections. Do you have the best projections? Yep. Like you could beat the worst players. You could probably beat average players that may look at projections, but don't know how to build lineups very well to exploit, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the floor and ceilings of projections. And then you get to the, to the advanced level where kind of in the contest that you play, that people almost out level themselves where, yep. Where it's like, oh, I can't, I can't just play the best projected plays. Everyone knows the best projected plays, so everyone goes to the different direction. It turns out the best projected plays are underowned. It's crazy. That's you know, which I will get into this week. Five slate was a really perfect like <laughs> example of that. Where we've gotten that, you know, 
we've known, you know, like the play, play whoever you want type stuff and things that I've been saying for a long time, like the, you know, the, oh, this is a game against other people. So, you know, roster construction and game theory and all that was important. Ever, but people know, like have been preaching that for a while. That's not new. And, and this, this concept isn't totally new. You know, the, the, the good players knowing, you know, this, this, this galaxy brain back and forth concepts between, between all the good players is not new, but it is definitely becoming bigger right now. I think just because there is more information out there than ever before. It was always a contest you know, against these, these good players in these smaller fields where you're kind of galaxy braining each other, but the projections weren't as good. A, you know, three years ago, projections just weren't as good. We didn't have as good of information. There was not, you know, as, uh, you know, we didn't have air yards. We didn't have all, you know, we didn't have all this information that makes up, you know, what people understand about a player or a slate or a team or whatever. So, now that we're now even you know the the average person is is smarter which makes the experts like you know absurdly smart right we're, we're go- we, we have we, we have slates where guys are airballing for multiple weeks in a row and they're the most popular play on 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 a slate right right we like, didn't we didn't this, we, we i remember because i started playing in 2015 so i'm not like totally old school like mm-hmm. i i i hear some of the guys Talk about 2010, 2011, where like, like that, just, just knowing who's on, who's injured in an NBA game, like, like, and and how does that affect the team? Like that was the, like, that was the humongous edge. And now it's like, it's, you you have on off tools and it's built into projections and like all of, we have injury reporting, everything, you know, everything's already calculated for you kind of. I mean, stacking, I mean, beep, I'm a Jeep. It wasn't that long ago that he like discovered the correlation of stacking in baseball. Like now, it's like who the hell makes a tournament team without like like what kind I, of idiot? You should look at some of the teams in large field. Yeah, there are plenty I, that don't. True, right, true. We, we see that because a lot of times, I mean, I get in the Roto Grinders Discord of like like well now everyone knows this, and I, I think we're a lot of times you think that we're in a bubble because yeah. like I, I'm I'm part of uh, uh, of the DraftKings uh, player committee. Uh, but it, which is it's essentially a glorified focus group. We have no control over anything. You know, like we sign an NDA, but most of the stuff that we get told is is like like is the wording on this screen good? I mean, like the the, the players would players understand this? And we go sure, even though I think the feature sucks to begin with. Like they're right. not going to change. I mean, like we have no control over that. But like the, just the how how few people in the grand scheme of things are in this. Are in the serious player bubble, I guess. Ninety-five percent of users are Joe Schmo on the couch putting together a lineup. I mean, especially in NFL, but even in oh, yeah. MLB, even in showdown contests, you may yeah, thirty percent of the field may be like the hundred and fifty max, whatever. But like, there's tons of single bullets and two lineups and all of that stuff stuff out there that you know they don't they don't understand this stuff there's still an there's still an edge in just that it's just that uh now there are more people that understand it on the on the uh, in that 30 percent range that you have to compete against those i mean like those are the people yep. that have long-term <clears throat> profit and there's only so much long-term profit in this game with the rate that there is so to me i don't view myself as like what do i think joe schmo on the couch is going to do i'm assuming that I'm going to beat that person more times than not already. Regardless, as long as I play the best plays, I could beat that guy. I can, I can min cash 
no problem. Like that, that, that I more times than not, still not enough to be profitable, but I don't have to worry about those lineups. I have to worry about okay, now there's the thirty percent of the field that there's a difference between me coming in 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 one point five xing and and winning for a hundred thousand dollars. Those are the guys. Those are the, the girls. The, the whoever that uh, that I'm that I'm looking to beat, and we we see that that's where like everyone has access to projections. That's where everyone has access to content and and tools and and and, and knowing correlations and knowing you know leverage, knowing knowing that that like I actively look like on a slate like you you bring that example in in like the luxury box or or the the large the large stakes the smaller field stuff that that we had this past week where like everyone everyone for weeks has been just like you'd stack the cowboys and their opponent right it's like like the cowboys defense is horrible so like it doesn't matter if the cowboys go up or down they they're playing too many plays they have too many passing weapons uh everyone's going to play them and but throughout the course of the week, it's like, well, if everyone's going to play him, I'm going to play Zeke and I'm going to play someone else. And then, then you get, you get you, the one o'clock comes, you, you, you hit, you hit, the, you hit the, the ownership percentage and Amari Cooper is 11% owned instead of 20. And then CeeDee Lamb is 6% owned instead of 12. And Dak is 8% owned instead of 16. In, especially in those types of contests. In the lower stakes contest, the Cowboys passing attack was at the at reasonable enough levels. It was actually under-owned compared to what people expected. But, I mean, Zeke, the Zeke ownership drew that. And mm-hmm. to exploit it by, you essentially went with the, the first look take. You know, salaries come out, and it's like, well, I'm the best player, the Cowboys, stat three plus one, you know, run it back with Slayton. <laughs> like, that seemed like... You play Dak, you play Cooper, and you play one of the receive another receiver, Schultz or whatever, and then you run it back with Slayton or Engram, depending, and and that's going to be the chalk, and it wasn't, and and so you next level, and you go, well, everyone thinks everyone's going to play it. I'm just going to play it, right? I'm just going to do yeah, it. It's it, it, it's a perfect example of you know, and I think, <clears throat> like I said, I, I don't have like regrets uh, about my teams, but I think I I thought that like. You know, in the middle of last week, you know, I'm consuming content too, right? And I'm, you know, we, but what we're, we're consuming finished. content. I always explain that I'm not consuming content because I want to hear people's opinions. I want to yeah. consume content because I know other people listen to those opinions. Exactly, and and I want to know what information everybody else knows, and they're all listening to that, right? So, and and they're all, you know, I. I mean, much respect to all these people. I value their opinions too. Evan Silva but, but they're, and they're, they're Retrieval. Saying the bet, okay, let me, let me get this straight. When, when you hear content and see stuff and read articles, people are typically talking about the high probability plays, the highest probability plays. But the difference in probabilities between the highest plays and the fourth highest plays is usually not that, that great. You're talking about one percentage point here or there. The difference between the lock of all locks and the eighth guy that's going to be three percent owned is not. It's not. It's. I mean, it's big enough that you'd rather play the other guy. But like, it's not so dramatic that one guy should be thirty four percent owned and the other guy is two percent owned. So like, right. that's the game theory of DFS. So it's not. But what? But in for a general public, like, why wouldn't you discuss who the? I mean, the projections say that. They're underpriced. That that all everything lines up for them to have the highest probability. But their probability of like ceiling could a high probability is forty percent. 
to hit a GPP winning ceiling for for Mike Davis to hit thirty plus points. Like yeah. that's that's a forty. That's it's not ninety percent. So like I don't blame the the content for that because I could look. No. It's the same thing as looking at the projections. Like what are people supposed to talk about? Like okay, who uh, who are we targeting this week? I don't know the twelfth best <laughs> wide receiver and the eighteenth <laughs> best tight end. Like they, that's what type of content is that? It's like. All you have to know is the probabilities. Now you have to make your lineups, and it has to depend well, on the that, contest that you're in. You're playing, Eric, your contest, your lineups, I would probably look at for me playing the $9 slant and go, like, you ain't winning this. Like, that's, like, that you, you're, you're way too straightforward. Like, you, you don't have enough leverage for that contest. And then sometimes yeah. you may look at a lineup that I put in the spy and go, Jesus, why did you have to go that far? <laughs> Like what? Yep. Did you have to play two percent Marvin Jones? And that's and like, like if that's the way that I sometimes tilt in the other direction. Since I'm mm-hmm. doing large field stuff, I out I let I level, and then I out level, and then I go well. I, I, I well if I'm gonna if I'm gonna now play this off the board stack, I also can't play the chalk one off. And then all of a sudden, I look at my lineup and I'm like, like maybe I maybe I maybe I didn't need to be contrarian that much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It's funny you say like, <laughs> what are what are the content creators supposed to talk about? Like, of course they're going to tell you like, just what everybody else sees. Though the Dallas passing game is not sustainable. Yo, you got to play Zeke. Like, and then you're like, well, who who? What kind of content is you're playing the twelfth best wide receiver? I'm like, well, that's my fucking content. <laughs> literally, literally, if you read or watch what I'm saying, I'm like, yeah, you know, Antonio Gibson projects as like the twentieth best running back, but he's my favorite. You know, he, he's probably my favorite play this week. You know, right, but, but, but you're but, doing it in comparison to ownership. It's not. It's not exactly. a. You don't think he's going to be the highest scoring running back? You don't think he's right. even? You don't even think he's going to be the highest scoring from a median perspective, yeah. point per dollar. It's just that does he have a high enough chance at a ceiling for his price, which at 5K is probably 20 points, 20, 20-ish points compared to how he'll be owned. Is he going to be, is he, if he's, if he's going to be 8% owned versus is he going to be 18%? Because if he was going to be 18% owned, to me, I I would, I I wouldn't be looking at him as much. Yeah. Right. So really that, that, but how do you do content? That way. I mean, that's what I try to do on the ASA show and Roto Grinders. That's what you try to mm-hmm. do on the shows that you do at Roto Grinders, where like I'm not giving you the best plays. I'm just looking at here are p- potential places to exploit, and there could be 40 of them. You can't play yeah. all 40 of them. You can't. You have to decide which which ways you're going to go. But I'm give, I'm at least giving you here are my thought process, and here are the ways that I'm thinking of going. Feel free to pick and choose whatever you want. But I'm not trying to predict the outcomes. Like, you're not predicting that Antonio Gibson is going to put up 20 points on this slate. You just say his probability based on these projections and his matchup and everything is that he's going to hit a ceiling 18% of the time and he's going to be owned 9%. So, especially if I'm paying up for an expensive stack that other people are not. Yep. Right, because people were paying down at wide receiver. So it's like, okay, how, how do I get Hopkins into my lineup? How do I get Ridley into my lineup? How do I get a 7K wide receiver? Well, I'm going to need a cheap running back. So Antonio Gibson makes sense in those lineups. But in a vacuum, going on a show and go, Antonio Gibson, not a very good play, but it, except for these types of lineups. Like, yeah. it, like it does, it, typically the audience doesn't, doesn't get that. Right. So it's for a general public, you... You're talking about the stuff that, you know, here are the highest probability plays. And then you have to make the decision about which ways you're going to fade. 
Which ways, how are you going to find leverage? So just knowing that, and I tell people that don't even play cash games, that if you're good at cash games, you're probably going to be good at GPPs because you you could identify, the first skill in DFS is identifying uh, the arbitrage between the salary and their value, which is the underpriced players, which tend to be the chalkier players because they project for more points than what they're worth. And then you make a good lineup construction. Then you look at the lineup construction and go, a lot of people are going to do this type of lineup construction. And now you know how to get contrarian. So if you don't, if you don't even have that base knowledge, I think the content is great because the content will point you towards that. But the problem is that 90% of people listening to the content are playing GPPs. So like, it's <laughs> yeah. like, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to put together my, my, uh, my Olamide Zacchaeus lineup and uh, Zeke, CEH, and Davis and, and the Browns defense. And then like, why didn't I win the Millie? It's like, well, you're not going to win the Millie with that lineup. <laughs> yep. So that's, you know, you talk about like the contest that, that I'm playing. And I think it's interesting, you know, you and I, you and I talking because we have the same approach, generally speaking, in but but have to go about it in very different ways right so how do you like go you about it differently than me well, you mentioned you know you sometimes you might look at my team and be like you know for for the the ten thousand person or, or god for you know hundred thousand person contest that that you're playing in like it's just it's not even really a lineup worth playing because i'm not getting like i don't have to go to you know your vomit stacks right sometimes sometimes i you know i i still will because i like right. to get but, but, but the, the little, approach little... is the same it's just that the amount of correlation and leverage like i look i look at it and go like this is not enough leverage for this but it's not enough yeah. leverage for a 200 person contest i mean that's that's perfectly fine you just to me you just have to find in the smaller field stuff like one primary like leverage point of like mm-hmm. One one negative correlation that you're going to go against and get leverage from. And then a lot of times you're playing the best plays and like, that's it. Yeah. Like that's all you need to do. But that's why I look at your lineup because for the large field stuff, you have to do that and then go into other different direct. You have to like, okay, I did right. that. And then now I have to find another negative correlation. And then I have to correlate them to the lower own receiver on the other side because <laughs> that, that's going to be too chalky. And then now yeah. you look at the lineup and you're like, okay, now now I can now I can come in first place out of three hundred thousand entries. <laughs> but that's the that's the thing. Like we were kind of talking about it, but uh, you know, before uh, I think before we even hopped hopped on here. But like, I don't have to to go completely crazy off the board. But there's something different about every slate. That I that, that you that you have to do right, and, and it's all contests. But I think in the in the higher in you know like say smaller field, higher stakes, it's so drastic. So like I, I have the luxury box from last week pulled up, right? Ce there, there's like multiple like fifty percent owned players, and you know in the Millie Maker, I guess I can pull that up really quick just to kind of see what right the, you're, what you're the saying what, what I say all the time that the, the ownership in the smaller field condenses more, which makes it easier for you to find leverage. Exactly. So I'm focused on that leverage, but that leverage is different on every single slate. It's not just, you know, so week two, Devontae Adams was that, that 50% owned guy, right? And sure, yeah, he got hurt, whatever. We can talk, we can debate the merits of all that shit. But Aaron Jones was 15%. On a, you know, because of slate dynamics, because there were other chalk running backs, and because Devontae Adams was chalk, Aaron Jones provided this like just 
like you dream up a, a leverage spot like that, right? So you do that, and then you know you maybe you don't stack the stone chalk, you stack the the, the second or third best, and and in the two hundred man field, you have a, a dream good. GPP line. Yeah, you're good, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you don't have to, you don't you don't have to you don't have to play you know Hunter Renfro or and you know you don't have to do this you know you don't have to oh well I got to play Kelsey over Kittle and then I got to play Renfro to you don't have to do all that right so it's about identifying that kind of stuff and then constructing your lineup appropriately. But that all that changes every week. So like in my opinion, in week five, how I broke down the slate, there was not like the Aaron Jones did not exist. Right. So week two, there was just like one or two play Aaron Jones and play to me. It was like Miles Sanders, like play these guys who are just as good plays as the the chalk expensive running backs. And then like you said, play whoever you want and then play whoever you want. Last week, it was a very different situation. A, we had this whole Cowboys shit that, that, that you know. Right, I but we also had the Panthers shit as well. Like, I, exactly. like I, I, I took a look at this. This is how I viewed it. That, uh, like, I, I mentioned it before, like, finding negative correlations. Like, you find extra, extra relative. I, we talk about this in the, in, the, in the master class. The importance of relative value. You're not trying to score the most points. You're trying to score more points than your opponent's. So, like, in your example with Aaron Jones, if Devontae Adams is chalk, then every point that Adams gets is points that Jones can't get because they're both on the same team. But if Adams is chalk, like, if you see here, he's chalk and, and like this. So, every point, if you take Jones over Adams, like, the 50% of lineups with Adams, every point that Jones get, you're gaining so many more points over relatively to those Adams lineups because Adams yep. isn't getting those points. It's coming out of them. So on this slate in week five, you take a look and you go, well, I think the Dallas passing game is going to be chalky. So I'll play the running game. But no, no, Zeke's 40% done. So like, yeah, so right. you don't get what, what, what I gain by doing that. And then you look at the Panthers and you go, uh, well, well, Mike Davis is going to be the chalkiest running back on the slate. And you go, well, I'll play the passing attack. Well, well Robbie Anderson's the chalkiest wide receiver. <laughs> like, okay, well, right. I can't do that. So that's why I moved to the third game and I go, CEH is going to be 30% owned. And yep. like I look at my my projections and I see like Hill and Kelsey with high ceiling probabilities, especially at their price tags. And it's not like the Chiefs were going to be unowned. Yeah. But I still think at their levels they were going to be underowned only because of Ceh's ownership. I think the more owned Ceh was, the less owned Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey, Watkins were going to be. So like that's what that was my major stand of like I was most exposed to Chiefs Raiders and then I also right. noticed that uh, none of the Raiders were getting ownership. Right. So I'm like I'm like so I'm now I'm now I can play a three plus one a two plus one and you know Rugs was one point five percent owned in the large field stuff and right. like he was in he was in eight I mean I played twenty Chiefs lineups. Like he was an eight out of the 20. I had Jacobs five, I had Waller seven, you know, like something like that. Yep. Uh, and Waller was owned, but like that combination now, if CEH doesn't do well, like we saw it this past week, like CEH was busted for his price. Uh, like, yeah, those stacks didn't get there. I didn't have the right pieces yep. in or whatever. But like you think in the same way that I, like I played a Mahomes stack in the, one of the the, the single entry Type of, type of line. I mean, and and but in those lineups, I could play Mike Davis. I could mm-hmm. play Robbie Anderson. 
in the, in those in the single entry contests in the large field. Some I'm, I'm who knows that yeah. who knows what correlations <laughs> I'm making there. But yeah. but but that's that's exactly what you're doing. And, but every slate is different in finding those best turns. Like in this past slate, if you stack the Steelers Eagles, the lowest total game, and it, it went off. It now. How about the people that stacked that game and said, "I'm I'm going to go off the board. I'm going to take the lowest total game. I'm going to play. I'm going to play Ben Roethlisberger. I'm going to play Miles Sanders, who broke off a big run, and that was his only the only good play. I'm going to play a three plus one with Miles Sanders in the running back spot. I'm going to stack Ben Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Ben Ben and and Deontay Johnson and Eric Ebron. Like you lost because you didn't have Chase Claypool there, and you didn't run it back with Travis Fulgham. So I mean, like, yeah, even though you were right, you were right, you absolutely nailed the nuts at no ownership. You were right. But, the game, yeah, the game that but, went over that no one expected to go over. You got right, yeah. and you have a horrible lineup. <laughs> yeah, but I think the Chiefs thing is is a good point that you know that that's where I ended up landing too. Um, I kept going back and forth. So I play. I only played two teams. I usually play like you know, two to five teams. I played two teams last week, and I landed on a Chiefs stack and uh, a tech and the, the Texans Texans game stack. But pretty much all week, I was on. I was on the, the, that same logic that you have the Chiefs. Well, CDH but other is people were be... also Eric. I mean, yeah. like we saw. Like I noticed some sharper players. You know, come Friday and Saturday, that that this Chiefs ownership is coming up a little bit more. Right, this Cowboys yeah, so, passing game is actually going down. So. Exactly. So that's what I kept wrestling with, and that's what you know we were kind of talking about it before the show, and saving it for this, and that that's where this is getting really interesting, I think, because that was my take like all throughout the week, and I'm trying not to do too much tinkering and shit on the weekends when like you know uh, it's a little you know you're trying to process the new information without overreacting. So you know my my stance was exactly what you said. Ceh is going to be super popular, and it, these you know, expensive. I know Zeke and DJ, uh, uh, Mike Davis are not like super expensive, but you know, these a little bit higher priced, chalkier running backs, Kareem Hunt too, are going to be more owned. People are playing CEH. So they're not going to play this, this chiefs game. So, okay, I'm going to play Mahomes and Tyreek and whatever. Yeah. Wall or rugs, Kelsey, however you want to break it down. Sammy Watkins was another, I, I think, awesome, like leverage opportunity within that game being at the same price, range as as Darius Slayton and then you know above Zacchaeus he's just a he's just a, a cheap wide receiver that correlates perfectly with your team and offers you leverage off of another chalky play in that position so all these factors start coming together and I'm like okay this is it you know, this is how I'm gonna attack this slate and then you know two years ago I would have never thought about it again we would have stacked the Chiefs and made all the money uh then like the weekend starts to come around and I'm like no one is gonna play the Dallas passing game like you came into the week and that's all it's literally all every podcast. I listened to like 20 shows and it's literally like, well, they've run 60 plays. Like it's like the whole, the whole which is correct. Like everyone is correct. The giants aren't going right. to be, the giants offense sucks. They're not going to be able to keep up, uh, you know, that type of thing. And like, typically we'd see two years ago, recency bias, people just jump. I mean, we still do see that on, a, on occasion on certain players, yeah. I mean, we had certain weeks last year that Mark Ingram was 20% for no apparent reason, right? He had three <laughs> touchdowns in one game, and then all of a sudden, like, for the next three weeks, I'm looking at the the Millie ownership and, like, why is he still 16% owned? He's getting, like, 40% of the work. But yeah. but these, like, 
I mean, like, I mean, look, look at, la- I mean, last year, perfect example was like Will Fuller did nothing and then he was chalk and then put up 50 plus points <laughs> as chalk after literally doing nothing, like just burning money for everyone. And, yep. and, but, but it depends on the contest that you're in. I think Brandon Cooks was that example this past week that mm-hmm. I, th- in the lower stakes, I noticed looking at ownership that a lot of people got off, got, got off of him. But in yeah. the higher stuff, like in the higher stake stuff, people like his forty. He, he, his price is even low. It's the it's a better spot than the week before, and his price is now three hundred less. So what has really changed? Bill O'Brien's not there. I don't know if that makes a difference. But like, how do you not how do you not load up on Brandon Cooks? And they did and got rewarded for it. But you see that then- more the the biases don't affect the higher stakes more so than than the lower stakes because. Because Brandon Cooks, if you listen to content, like he was there, but not like, not like pumped or anything. Like, and he no. projected okay. It's not like he even popped in projections. Yeah. Like to that extent, it was it was a good play in projection point per dollar, but not like right. compared to Slayton, compared to Zacchaeus, compared like Robbie Anderson. Like that was going to be kind of the chalk. But but you notice in the higher stakes contests, like those bias effects really don't. They don't have, I mean, no, maybe, maybe Adam Troutman, 15%. maybe that, maybe Adam Troutman yeah. is the, is the, is the, <laughs> that's where we draw the line. Right. <laughs> well, sometimes, well, sometimes it happens that, uh, you know, it's like for lineup construction purposes, like every, like that's why, that's why I, I, I say it's important to study the sharp players, not the winning people of a certain week. Yeah. Cause like last yeah. week, a lot of sharp players got killed. Of course I didn't play Adam Troutman. Cause I thought like, I'm just taking my points with Waller and good luck trying to beat me. But yeah. I mean, but like I said, I, I, I'm a, I'm a mid stakes player. I would classify myself as a mid stakes player and I have vast experiences at the low stakes. So a lot of times, and because I'm a nit, a lot of times I, I lean a lot towards more towards floor than ceiling. So like, I'm just going to say, I'm going to play Waller and you run me down. I think Adam Levitan calls it a prove it week of a, like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get my 15 points at tight end. You go down to Troutman and if, if if Lockett beats me, then it be, then he beats me. No, no, fine. If he beats me, he beats yeah. me. But I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take a zero at tight end. You take the zero and try to run me down. But I understand. But it's not like it was a bad play. I understood, yeah. especially because I and I even said on shows that if you're not gonna play Wally, you might as well just go all the way down to Troutman because no tight right. end is worth a fuck. So like like I get that. But playing at the higher stakes and the smaller field contests. Is there's a lot that's that's where that third level comes in, that yep. that that doesn't exi- necessarily exist at the lower stakes. Yeah, and I think it's becoming even more you know apparent that that third level. There's always been the the, the let's call it the two levels at, at you know in these contests and and a, to a lesser extent in lower stakes. Just as more content and more information and stuff has gotten out there, like like you said, there, there's always the bad players and stuff. But now that thirty percent that's good in those contests that you're playing against. They are better um, at, at all this and galaxy braining shit. Um, but it just so happens that, you know, in, in these higher stakes, smaller field, that's the whole field. There, there is the, the right. The you're getting just those 30%. In only, the, yeah. The, right. You may have some five guys. schmucks in the bottom out of 200 right. players. You may have like five or six lineups that are like, Jesus, I don't know how they put these together, but like that doesn't represent <laughs> yeah. that much of the field. Right. Like there's, you know, there's 400 people, you know, basically 400 people 
And last week, like basically everybody scored at least like 120, like just about everybody, you know, and 200 won it. So there isn't even that big of a gap from the shitty lineups in this contest to, to the winning lineup. You know, top 10 was 190 and like last place is like, you know, not that far behind. When you look at the Millie, there's teams with 30 fucking points, <laughs> you know, like it's it's just it's a very it's a, it's a different game. So this third level, you know, this 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 galaxy brain stuff we keep talking about has become even more important. Like, you know, we both know it's always been important. And this next level thinking and and, um, you know, ownership and leverage and all that. Every, everyone understands that. But I think it is evolving a little bit how leverage presents itself and how game theory is played out in contests like this has evolved, uh, you know, a, a little bit. Even these guys are, you know, the sharpest players that exist even them you know even last year maybe i'm not so certain that brandon cooks is one of the highest stone wide receivers uh, uh, off of the bagel last year at you know or even ridley i mean was. ridley had yeah. the island game with the bagel and he ends up with 16 percent ownership a lot yeah, of times I, I that, that 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 wouldn't happen a lot of times yeah, think, he would be owned but it's like and but we also but you have to admit you also get the 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 over even with sharp players of the, the Olamide Zacchaeus, where you take yeah. a look and you go like, obviously projects well, but this is a, this is going to be a wide, this is going to be a wide range of outcomes. He's the third receiver. He doesn't, there's not, there's not data to support this. And I've yeah. said on shows before that just because you saw them do well last week when the injury happened, doesn't mean they game plan a certain way the following week. So I'm, I'm looking at Zacchaeus going like, is there Zacchaeus is going to be 20, 25% owned and Jeff Smith is going to be 5% owned. Like is, is, is one, is one guy more like he's another three K guy. He ended up getting like double digit targets and just only three catches because Joe Flacco <laughs> yeah. sucks. But <laughs> right. right. But I look, I look at Isaiah Wright on the, on the, on Washington. I go, is there how he's less than 1% owned. Is that any different than Olamide mm-hmm. Zacchaeus? But then you also think in terms of, well, instead of t- playing the lineup, that someone else would have played with Zacchaeus and then you put Jeff Smith there. Just play a lineup that doesn't have a 3K wide receiver. And especially mm-hmm. in these single entry tournaments, like Zacchaeus came in and like a third of the lineups had him in. So that means a third of lineups had a 3K wide receiver, which means that led them and they, and more than 70% have Mike Davis in the lineup. So now you could start plugging in if you want to like back, te- back construct what cert- what a lot of the field's lineups are going to look like. Start locking these players in and then running a hundred lineups in an optimizer and with some correlations because you're going to put in three plus one, two plus one. And then you could start seeing that, okay, like who's going to be unowned? You're going to look and you see DeAndre Hopkins only shows up in four lineups. And you go, ah, and you go, okay, let, let, mm-hmm. what happens if I do Kyler Murray and Hopkins and Crowder? Because I did that in one single entry lineup and, yep. and I don't have to play Zacchaeus at all. I play Brandon Cooks in that lineup as a one-off because I don't think he's going to be owned enough where the stack doesn't go off. Watson's going to be popular, but the Cooks could get there at 4,100 and be the only guy. So mm-hmm. so that's how you you could reconstruct what lineups look like and go, well, instead of just plugging in Zacchaeus and Davis and then trying to build a lineup there, you could you could say, well, what if I just don't play a 3K wide receiver? Like that's automatically your line of construction will be different than a third of the field. Even if you're playing chalky players, like you're automatic, you're gaining leverage on 33% of the field just 
right off the bat by just not playing him and your construction will be different. And I think that's been, you know, you have to have all these tools in your toolkit, right? Not to get like super cliche or whatever, but you know, you, you have to be able to assess the slate and break everyone down appropriately. Sometimes it is play Jeff Smith over, you know, it, it we don't have CMC and Saquon and all these guys anymore. So it's a little bit different, you know, and we, we barely have expensive wide receivers anymore, <laughs> anymore too. There's so many goddamn injuries that we have like nobody to pay up for. So, so, you know, there's these variables that you have to assess, but I think, you know, a lot of people think about it and I do too, sometimes how you define it the first way. Okay. Zacchaeus is three K there's definitely other punt wide receivers that I can play at the same price. And now it's just, bam, okay, let's play those probability games. And I think that makes sense. But where I think is getting, you know, now dogs like this, dogs like this. He's tilting, tilting. I lost on a week when Zacchaeus was 40, he's 40% in the luxury box. And I didn't, and I didn't win. That's just uh, right. That's he bad. faded a guy that only put up 2.3 points at three K and lost. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I played, you know, we played Tyreek and he catches an 80 yard touchdown on the first play and it gets called back. And then the Chiefs, you know, can barely score. That it was that well, was Watkins injury. That would kill yeah, me. I Watkins. had him in like a third of my lineups. Yep. yep. Please Watkins. come back out for the second half. And But then then you get to the point. This is how you rationalize in your head. You 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 during halftime, you're like, please, I'm going to check Twitter. Please say that Watkins is not just downgraded to out. And then, then you come to like the kind of the realization that like he's not coming back. And then now you start thinking the opposite direction of like, well, I'm glad he got 10 points. I'm glad he got that <laughs> touchdown. So 10 points for Watkins ain't bad in my stacks. So maybe, maybe I can win with that, right? right. Maybe I, you start rattling. Like, and then, you know, in the back of your head, a 10 point wide receiver in a stack, you ain't not in a large field contest. You ain't winning stuff. So I'm like, I got rugs at 1% in that lineup. Maybe it could happen. Maybe. Maybe and then Chase Claypool ruins all your dreams because even at one percent own, like I ain't win. I ain't winning some large field stuff without him in my lineup. Yeah, it's it's funny, but I think you know the like I said, you just have to be able to break break down the slate. But what has become a lot more interesting to me, and I talked a lot about it last week, is exactly what we broke down with like the chiefs. Okay. Everybody is playing this three K wide receiver and what you broke down with kind of the optimizer type thing, plug in the best, you know, the, the quote unquote best plays and then see what that spits out because you see how all your opponents are going to be building. So sure. You can build the same way and play pivots. Th- that's definitely effective. But w- given the fact that we don't have CMC. We don't have, you know, they're, they're, we don't have Michael Thomas. We don't have uh, Lamar's worthless at quarterback. Basically, you know, we we don't have 10k guys to be jamming into into our teams. Everybody is muddied in the middle. All the plays. So there's more power to me in just flipping the script. Okay, everybody's going to play Zacchaeus and Zeke and Ceh and whatever Deshaun and. You know the Robbie, right? Okay, so they only have so much money left, and they're they're and they're paying up at tight end. So it's like, okay, that's exactly how everybody is is going to build. So I'll just play David Johnson. He's you know, he, and he wasn't low owned, but like I'll just play David Johnson and uh, Antonio Gibson or shit Devonta Freeman. Pick, I don't care. The name doesn't matter. Pick whichever cheaper guy, one small tier at running back, cheaper, and then play yeah Tyreek Ridley Nuke. 
Amari, whoever, what, what, like whatever you want there. <laughs> and you, you have just as much upside. Your, your plays are just, you're not, you're not just having to depend on this one, one V one leverage point. You're playing just as many good plays with just as much upside. And now you have like basically this entire unique lineup and you didn't even set out to like, you didn't have to seek out low ownership. You just built a little bit differently. Right. I mean, because if you compare the lineups, for, even from a median projection standpoint, the difference between your lineups and those lineups is maybe two or three points. Exactly. Which, I mean, in the law, I mean, from a median perspective, from a min cash perspective, may matter. But from a ceiling perspective, on a, on a one on a one game sample size, right? On a one game sample yeah. size, I'll I'll take a two or three median hit if I'm ga- if I'm gaining so much relative value. I mean, like that's I bang it over ahead of like. If you're playing a, a lineup that let I'm going to go by cumulative ownership, which is not necessarily mm-hmm. the be all end all, but let's say right. you have a lineup with a cumulative ownership of 130 percent, right? Which is is about the range of what you maybe should be looking for in single entry type of stuff one 120, 130, that type of range, maybe 140 depends. It dep- obviously this is because if you play a one percent owned guy with all the chalk, I mean that could be that can, it can end yeah. up being a high number, but still enough leverage. Uh, yep. If you're playing a lineup with, a, let's say, 140% cumulative ownership and a median projection of X, and then and you, and you, instead you play a different lineup that has a median projection that's two points less, but a cumulative ownership of 95%, like you're gain, the, you're, the ceilings of, the, of that lineup is gaining so much more relative value because it's 45%. I mean, it's like the ownership on that and you're only give and you're only giving up two or three points in median. Like if you're and, giving and up have, twenty points in median, okay, maybe 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 that you, maybe you're you're yeah, right. You're you're good. You're playing way too many low probability players and not the mm-hmm. higher probability players. But if you're only giving up, you know, two three points, five points even on median, there's not necessarily yeah. ceiling. I mean, if your ceiling probability is the difference. If your whole lineup ceiling probability, let's say the first lineup was in combination of like uh, 18% in aggregate, because you'll have some 38% guys and then some like 9% guys. It'll work out that way. So let's say the mm-hmm. total lineups is like 18-ish percent. And then the this other one is like 15%. But it has, it doesn't have, it doesn't have the high end range. It just has a lot of the guys kind of in the middle and you're giving up a couple of points in median, but it's going to be like half his own. Like that's technically... This like in content, how do you do this? How do you say that that's the yeah. best? Like I, I said it on Twitter. Like what exactly are the best plays? Because to yeah. me, what we're talking about here is like fate. It's fading Robbie Anderson and playing DJ Moore, like that in a vacuum. DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson at twenty three percent owned versus DJ Moore twelve percent owned. DJ Moore is the best play. Robbie Anderson is the higher probability play. He projects from he projects better, but in in just in that vacuum, who is the best play? So when people ask who are the best plays, like what are you what what are the best? Like are you talking about what's yep. the highest probability? Mike Davis is the best running back play, but in certain lineups he may not be the best play for that lineup. So like just playing the best plays is not is not especially in the contest that you're playing. And especially in large field contests where you just can't play stone chalk, like it's not good enough anymore. You're not yeah. there's not enough dead lineups. There's not these contests are big, or you're playing against other smart people like you do, that 
you can't just play the in a vacuum on paper best play. They're not the best. They're literally not the. I wouldn't describe them as the best plays. I would say I would Correct. look at a lineup that 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 someone would build and go. I'm going to be playing the spy four thousand entry, and they look and it's nearly a two v two on my cash lineup. Like you know, it's a cash lineup that I would consider even playing in double ups, and I look at it and go. This is a horrible lineup. It's but I'm playing the yeah. best plays. It's like no, this this is not the best lineup for this contest. You have to. It's like why why would I play a worse? Why would I fade Zeke and play Cooper instead? I said because that would be the best play. It's like yeah, but Zeke projects better than Cooper. Yeah, but but no no no. Cooper at eleven percent owned versus Zeke at forty percent owned is a negative correlation for the contest you're in is the best play. But in a vacuum, you can't. How do you? you that's the concept. That's what the course is all about of like yeah. le- knowing the concepts and then having to apply. Like we're talking about this past slate because we're applying those concepts mm-hmm. to the past slate. And then the slate coming up, which currently doesn't even have pricing yet. Uh, <laughs> and if FanDuel, who knows if he even gets scored yet. Uh, like you don't know what that's going to be. Like you don't know. We, 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 have some, we have some slates where there's so many underpriced players that it becomes almost too easy to make like median lineups. And then we have slates where the pricing is so sharp that it's like, I, you could make any lineup you want. Everything seems about equal to me. Like no one becomes chalky because mm-hmm. like there's like, yeah, you could play one of these six guys or one of these four guys. And uh, I guess, I guess we're all punting with this $3,800 guy. And that guy ends up becoming chalk. And that's where you get your leverage. You're like, yeah. you know, we see that in NBA, like in NBA, if there's oh, no yeah. if, if if there's no injuries and, and the pricing is good, like this, it doesn't happen. I, I'm using this example because it 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 happened two years ago, whatever. That like Jamal Crawford off the bench for the Timberwolves, like he was always like the, oh, Jordan Clarkson is a similar way, like the the high usage six man that only plays 22 minutes, like is always under 4K, and then it's like there's no value on the slate, so it's like all of a sudden like Jordan Clarkson's 32 percent owned or Crawford mm-hmm. because no one else could find value in order to play like, like the better plays and everything. And that there you'd find leverage, but that's unique to that type of slate. And since every slate is different, understanding the concepts is more important. So you could apply it to the contests that you're in. And then even applying the concepts, you could fly. Like we, we talked about the uh, leveraging CEH and the, 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 the chief stack, but like there were plenty of other ways to go. I mean, if you if you played oh, yeah. a Bridgewater lineup and you played Curtis Samuel in your stack, right, and you ran that back with Gage, like th- that applied the sa- you applied the same exact concept. Like that that was vi- if I saw a lineup like that, I would be like, okay, I understand why you're doing this, right? Mm-hmm. If I see a Ryan Ridley Zacchaeus uh, Davis lineup, <laughs> and then and then I see uh, uh, like someone like. Uh, Miles Sanders in the running back spot and run back with Deontay Johnson. I'm like, okay, Sanders is going to be much lower owned because of the matchup. It's like, okay, you have a chalky stack, but now I get why you're playing Miles Sanders in this lineup. And then mm-hmm. I get why you're playing Deontay Johnson because that's the secondary correlation. Like, you know how many options you have for a slate doing that on a like a 10-game slate? I mean, imagine a 12 or 13-game slate. There's like 50, there's so many different directions that are viable that like I can yep. look at and go, I understand. I, and I say, I didn't do that, but I understand why you, I think, I think this is, I still think this is a plus EV lineup. 
I just I just chose to I'm I'm choosing to double down on these other directions to make sure <laughs> I get that right because I think that's slightly more plus EV and I just want as many of those combinations as possible. Exactly. Like everybody at the end of the day, everybody has to make their own decisions, right? Like you said, there's 10, 12, 13, what whatever games. It doesn't really matter if we agree on a, you know, all the plays and all exactly how all those those games will play. It, you know, that's why the picks thing and the the just give me the the best plays type thing is so popular is because people don't want to, you know, either don't feel comfortable, they don't feel like they have enough knowledge, whatever, so they get fed these these best plays when in reality, as you described it, the best plays are different for every slate, for every lineup you play, for like you said, Mike Davis could be the absolute best play in uh, in one lineup that you you play, and the absolute worst play in another lineup that you play. But it's up to you to make those for, those decisions around it and build, like you said, plus plus EV teams. And people don't, you know, it. it you and I would come off as an asshole when somebody's like, "Hey, I got this two v two. I'm like, well, that is live. That is that not doesn't help. do me any like, good. I, I need to know the rest of your lineup. Yeah, yeah, I need I to know what contest you're. I GPP. That not, that's still not good enough for me. Yeah. What yeah. type of GPP? The, I mean, right, right. right? If you double yeah. ups, yes, because double ups it really condenses the amount of players that you can play because you're yeah. really aiming for median. So if I see a two v two and they say double ups and I see one side is two guys that I have in my lineup and two guys that I I wouldn't even possibly considered because <laughs> a lot of times even then I'll see a two v two. And it's four guys that I never considered for cash games at all. And I just say, start over. I'm like, what, however you got <laughs> to those players, like, yeah. or when people say last piece, like what I, my default answer is like, if you need a default, it's uh play who, whoever fits in that slot. That's more correlated with your lineup. Or right. if you need leverage, lower owned. And if you don't need yeah. leverage, higher owned. But until you tell me, until you show me the lineup of the contest it's in, I really can't give you an accurate answer. All I could do is give you, Who's the highest projected point per dollar player? But I mean, you could look at the projections and see that. I mean, mm-hmm. assuming if you're asking me in like Roto Grinders Premium Discord, like you could you, you could see the same thing that I'm looking at. So like sort mm-hmm. by point per dollar and the price, and there that's that's the guy I'm going to tell you because I don't have any any other context to go by. And I think like we we kind of started off talking about the in general, you know, the field and overall player population is getting smarter about these kinds of things. And that's why we're sitting here talking about, you know, how, how to construct your lineups and how deep to think about it in relation to the past slate, you know, and how you can apply it moving forward because the field is, the field is getting smarter and the game, the game is evolving. But even for, even for myself, I have to take a step back sometimes. Like I talked about it last week that, you know, sometimes you just get in this content grind and you're, you know, you're, you're grinding every single day and you're making teams and different sports every single day. And sometimes you just lose, lose track of it. And the next thing you know, this happened to me literally two weeks ago. The next thing, the slate locks at noon on a Sunday and I look at my team and I think that it's leveraged and I think, you know, I made a good team and the whole fucking thing is chalk. Like that's, it's literally what happened to me two weeks ago. So it's easy to get caught up in that, that grind and, you know, have just, just having this kind of, you know, platform that, that, we have here will help me, you know, and like maybe there's some people that can draw some draw some things from it because you have to think about it so deeply on every single slate because it's so different. You know, we just outlined multiple things that you could have done this past week that that gave you leverage. 
But then there's also examples from week two, week three, that were different ways for you to get leverage. And then this coming slate, which God, like you said, God knows if we'll even get, <laughs> if we'll get one, but I don't know. I, I have no idea what the leverage is going to, you know, I, I don't know what the best plays are on that one. Um, so it, it's just constantly kind of re- reminding yourself of all these different things while resetting, like, okay, got it. Understand, you know, where I went wrong, where I went right, where was maybe the, like we talked about the Cowboys thing, you know, you and I kind of agreed that like this chief's concept was, you know, probably the best path to, you know, leveraging yourself and, and giving you the best path to win a tournament. But like, if someone wanted to come to me and be like, dude, Dak was sub 10% and Gallup was like 4% and CD was 5%. That was the best play. I wouldn't argue. I wouldn't, ar- I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that, with you. I, hell, I had some of those lineups. Yeah, that's a great. I mean, that was a phenomenal play, leveraging this galaxy brain, third level thinking stuff that's going on in in these contests. So you know, just every week you have to be cognizant of all of that. That I don't think, you know, it's stuff that I don't think you had to be quite as cognizant of in 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 the past. Right. You know, and sometimes I, I they think, go wrong. Like I like I played some yeah. Minshew stacks. Because the yeah. the Dexon stack was going to be popular, like let me just play Minshew, Chark, and Laviska or something, or Eifert, and do a three plus one the other way with David Johnson, and I'm like yeah. that's that seems that made sense leverage wise of like okay Watson fails, David Johnson has the big game, so that means yeah. if Watson fails, Cooks fails, and Fuller fails, and uh, and you know David Johnson goes nuts and Minshew has to throw the ball to come back, you know like that type of game. Like those lineups failed. I mean, like they, they, yep. <laughs> those lineups did not cash. But the yep. process and I, in getting to those lineups were the same process of getting to the Chiefs lineups or getting to the Cowboys line. I mean, it's the, it's the exact same thing. Where, where, how can I exploit what my opponents are doing and make good enough lineups that have high enough medians that the difference between the lineups is not great enough to, in comparison to the range of their ownership? And go, Minshew's 4%, LaVisca's 7%, Chark is 12%, 9%. And then, yeah. you know, you have Fuller at 18% and Watson at 22%. Like, let, let me try it this way. But mm-hmm. the difference between me and you is, uh, like, I like playing the, I like playing them all. <laughs> like, yeah. like see, that, that, <laughs> right. see, that's the hard part for me. It's <laughs> like, I'll just build 100 lineups because I can play six DAC lineups. I'll play yeah. six months. Like I'll find all the directions that I want to go. And then I have the option to like one of these, maybe one of these bink. I'll just play one of them. You're playing like, uh, I got one lineup in a live final qualifier. It's like, like <laughs> you can't play, you can't play 10 of them. You have to, yeah. and, and if you're going to do it and it's and it could be off by one receiver. Like you could, you're, you're going in going, okay, I'm going to go for the chiefs thing. And then you're going to run it back with Waller. And it turns out it's like, oh, if I ran it back with rugs, I would have won. I mean, like, like yeah. me, I don't, I don't have to worry about it as, as much because, like, I have both lineups in the nine dollars slant. So, like, either one, like, it's one of those things. Like, like, and then when I have to build my single entry type of lineups, that's when it's like, okay, what is my best? What is the yeah. one? like? Should I play the DAC? Okay, I'm gonna play the DAC one in the single entry, and then like in the one fifty power sleep. That's I'm doing the Mahomes one, but I ran it back with Waller and not Rugs, and I'm like, oh no, I didn't. But but my slant lineup is good. Like that, that's the thing that 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 I'm not I'm not used to. I mean, I get it. I mean, that's what everyone that plays single entry three max has to do. Of like, mm-hmm. I have like eight thoughts in my head, but I can only play one of them, and you have to choose your best one. And some people are good at like, I'm this is what I'm gonna do, and they they're very decisive on that. When you're so used to playing, 
you know, 20 maxes and 50 lineups in a contest. It's like, I don't have, I could just look at my best directions and go, okay, let's just kind of like, like, like I know some of these lineups are burning. I know I'm no, I'm playing a hundred lineups. I know 80 and I'm, or they're going down with this year. Like I need, I, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, sperm <laughs> reaching the egg. It's like, I need, I need one of them to get there. Can I get one of them to get there? And then, 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 then I'm good. And then I win a lot of money. So like, yeah, like I go, I go for that. So, so maybe you, maybe throughout the course of these weeks that we do the podcast that you, you, you kind of help me on like finding, like, <laughs> this is kind of weird. You have to tell me what the best plays are. Cause like I, <laughs> Right, you understand, like not the high probability plays of like, yeah. okay, I've, I, I've, the leverage points, I've itemized it, I've gotten it down to ten. It's like I've gotten ten leverage points, and I'm going to exploit it in large field. And you have to tell me what's the best leverage. But now I need to know what the best one of that right. is. And I'm like, but, but it's, like, you know, it's, it's funny because you're like, that's literally what I'm doing, though. You know what I mean? Like every single week, that's what I'm, you're identifying all these ten, fifteen, twenty, whatever, how many ever leverage points there are on on a slate. You know, there's tons, but you're identifying your favorite 10 or whatever. I'm identifying my favorite two, <laughs> you know, like lit and, and jamming them into one, one or one or two teams, you know? So that is what I'm doing. And like, there's no right or wrong or whatever, you know? Uh, but it, it, it helps me be like reminding myself, you know, you don't have to be perfect. Like it, you don't, I'm not, you know, in the, in the slant, maybe you don't have to be perfect, quite as perfect as say the Millie or whatever. But like, you know, in these 200 man fields, you know, like you were talking about the live final queue, like some of those are like 60 something people. I don't have to be perfect. It's like, yeah, sure. I'm pissed at myself when I play Waller over rugs as the bring back. Sure. Like, okay, that sucks. But like, I don't need to, you know, I don't need to score 250 points. And if I'm appropriately leveraging myself, you know, and leveraging the field, the, the winning score, you know, I, I want to win the lower scoring slate anyway. Right. I don't want to have, I don't want to win the slate that I have to be perfect. I don't want to win the slate right. that I got to have rugs and Claypool, you know, and Miles Sanders. I don't want to win those slates because I'm just never going to win them. Right. Because t- so typically, I- the, but typically the top players, even in large field GPPs, will, you'll notice that on low scoring slates, that's, that's when the sharp players are towards the yeah. top. The high yeah. scoring slates isn't because the high scoring slates, and I, and I say this to people in, in the Roto Grinders Discord, is like, like you're gonna play that those six chalky guys in your lineup. It's like, like you can just like if all of them hit, like the high the Millie winner is gonna have 300 points in it. Like you yeah. get, you better make sure the other two players are have the ability to put up 30 points because like you're not you're not getting enough relative value on the field. And that's when you see people they're like, I can't believe I scored 270 points and didn't whatever. <laughs> it's like, well, what do you expect? And then you have the opposite direction of I can't believe only two ten won the million dollars and like yeah because the because these are the people that had the balls to build lineups that didn't have all the chalk in it so yep. you want to you want to that's the vomit stack theory in baseball when people ask me on a fourteen game slate you go why are you playing the Tigers do you think the Tigers are going to be the highest scoring team on the slate I go obviously not they're horrible I want to <laughs> win when they score nine runs. Like, I don't need them to score 15 because they're so cheap. And then I'm, and, yep. and I need the two ace pitchers that the only way you can play the both the two ace pitchers together is by playing some garbage stack. If those two ace pitchers put up 40 points each, which they have the ceilings to do, and the Tigers put up nine runs, they may not even be the highest scoring team on the slate. The Dodgers could put up 12 runs, but the Dodgers are also twice as expensive. So those yep. Dodgers stacks, they couldn't get the two ace pitchers in. 
So, like, I want to win the low-scoring slate where the Tigers' nine runs is the best. Not because mm-hmm. I think they're going to put up 20 runs, because I don't think so. And the same thing happens in NFL. Of, like, do, do, you, when you, do you think the garbage, you know, Matt Schaub stack or whatever, bull, <laughs> you know, bullshit, you know, Kyle Allen, which I didn't because there was no need to. Like, yeah. you think they're going to put up the most points? It's like, no, I'm trying to win the low-scoring slates. And on the low-scoring slates, if Washington, if you play Kyle Allen in your lineup, if you played Allen, McLaurin, Thomas, you know, that type, ran it back with Cooper Cup or something, like, the win condition of that lineup is not that game exploding. It's all the other games not exploding. Exactly. And them putting up enough points that you win a low-scoring slate. So you can't think in terms of, who do you think is going to be the highest scoring team? Well, it's going to be the teams with the highest totals. I mean, we could all see that. They yeah. have the highest probability. I don't think the, the Washington football team is putting up 40 points today. But if they put up 28, they're cheap enough that if all the other games fail, that could be the winning team. Yep. But this is the type of stuff we'll be talking about on a weekly basis. And, and you'll, you'll, you'll still, we'll both still be assholes on Twitter throughout the week, right? Exactly. That's exactly. Kind of, I can't. I can't I can't stop needling the people that get pissed when you say like, oh, you didn't play Aaron Jones, you fucking moron. And then the people get in there. Oh, you know, you stupid touts, you know, whatever. It's it's too fun to needle to needle those people. Yeah, but you do it for needling purposes. Yeah, exactly. Well, I do it for humor I, purposes. I, yeah. I mean, most I of the like time I'm self-deprecating. Most of the time, imagine, imagine yeah. not imagine not playing Claypool Fulgham correlation. I can imagine. <laughs> like, like, no, no, who does that? Like that's it's funny that people still get mad about like, you know, it, it, we go, I, like I've, I've referenced Aaron Jones quite a bit just because it was such a really good example of like a leverage opportunity. So like the more you bring it up, these people get mad, like, Oh, you're still victory laughing, laughing, Aaron Jones, you know, whatever. Like, no, I'm not victory laughing. I played Dwayne fucking Haskins in my, in like my main Aaron Jones team. I'm not victory laughing shit. Like I, I you're victory own... lapping the concept. Yeah. Exactly. Like don't, but don't think of Aaron attach. Jones. Think of the yeah. concept of, Devontae Adams was mega chalk wide receiver, and you're playing the negatively correlated running back, right. especially in the same range as another chalky running back. Like the matrix, the leverage matrix was like perfect. And I did. I played a bunch of Aaron Jones. I didn't play a lot of them, but I mean, yeah. I, I saw that also. I just, I didn't choose to like double down, triple down on that. But it it, yeah. it it made sense in the lineups that didn't have Adams. It didn't mean I didn't have Adams. I still had plenty right. of Adams. Right, because right? unlike you, I could play like eight thousand lineups, so I could yeah. do, I could do whatever whatever I wanted, whatever lineup I want. So that's why I'm at, who do you have in your player pool? Like everyone, I could. Yeah. Yeah. Who don't I have in my player pool? Like people that are projected for like nothing practically. But yeah. are you running? Are you running back your stacks with this guy? I'm running my my stacks with that guy and this guy and this guy. Like I'm playing twenty of that stack. I'm not gonna play yeah. the same run back. You know, I'm gonna have some type of diversification. So that's why the best plays type of like what what can I stop asking me? Like yeah. it, what does it matter? Like it's better it's much better if people uh showed me is like I'm I'm just I'm I'm looking to do this in GPP in this type of GPP and I go if I if I my answer is that's viable. It doesn't matter whether or not I'm doing it. It's just like yeah. I understand. That's why I when you study other players, like all I want to do is understand. I'm like okay, I see I see why they did that. Right? I didn't choose to go in that direction. But I understand people that did, and that, mm-hmm. and that still could be plus EV. Just I, ch- I chose not to go. You know, I stacked the t- the week before. I stacked the Bills Raiders game, and that failed. Whatever. But like you could understand, man. You look at the ownership, and okay, that that all comes together. So I think this this show will provide context to 
the the play whatever you want the the the, the concepts of what you know you needle people with with what I you know preach about on shows and uh, and 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 in the in the <coughs> the audio masterclass theory of DFS dot com if you haven't uh, picked that up yet uh, fifteen hours it's basically me uh, and James McCool teaching you how to play DFS as a game and it applies to any sport so it's not it's not like how do you play NFL it's not it's not broken up that way it's like the actual statistical concepts and game theory of playing a competitive game, which just happens to be around sports performance. But it could, it, I, I've joked it that it, it, we could play supermarket DFS, right? You're betting on how many pieces of lettuce there are and the, the, what's the probability of, of them being over 50 gallons of milk. At the, like, it's the same. It doesn't matter. The, the players are just like the pieces on the board. So Eric, people can find you. That uh, typically that this is the that whenever you listen to a podcast, you know it's over. Yeah, this is when you hear yeah. the words, when you hear the question, where can people find you? Yeah, exactly. Every, every that's the thing. We we got to come up with something with something else. I guess. No, I want to be as not, trite I, as possible. Everybody, we're talking. We got to get some intro, outro. You know, no, no music. There's jingle. no music on this shit. No, no well, why? You, you just said you want to. You just said you want to do the same shit that everybody else is doing. With oh, where can I find you? You know, whatever. Where can people find your work? Like, okay, yeah, I I will answer your question. I'm mostly on Roto Grinders, providing uh, I do a, I do a bunch of different content. Honestly, you know, showdown some showdown stuff, which I really enjoy. Enjoy. Uh, I think I'm pretty shitty showdown player, but I enjoy. That's like, not a good endorsement. You, that's not, you, you, did you go to tout I'm school not, that you didn't take I'm tout one one You don't say I do showdown premium content and I'm horrible at it. Well, that's because you're supposed to listen to the analysis that I'm doing. Not the, and don't play the people that I'm playing. Oh, so you do um, the analysis. You know, I, I, so, okay. So I'm doing the right thing by looking at your analysis and then playing those lineups and you're deciding yes. not, uh, on showdown just to, but before we get out of here. Are you playing the single entry stuff also, or are you playing the big yes. field stuff? I mean, I throw stuff into the you know, like I, I make a team, one team. Oh, okay, so that throw- okay, so now I understand. Okay, so that now I, I just wanted to put it into context that makes sense because, like, yeah. I play the luck box. If you don't win first place, right. you lose money type of contest. <laughs> so, yeah. like, my lineups look like like uh, who knows what they? I mean, they could have ridiculous looking. But when you're only playing the smaller field stuff, yeah, I can understand that. You know, when you see that you have like uh, you know eighty nine percent leverage on this construction with an RB two and captain, that that yep. maybe maybe that's that's not optimal for a, for a two hundred person contest. Yeah, and even less, you know, sometimes the, the even small even smaller fields. So you know, I, I'm learning as I'm doing the content how to apply these strategies to the contest that I'm playing for showdown. And I don't think you know most of the showdown stuff that's out there is for these million dollar contests and you know these these absurd, um, you know, prize structures and stuff. And like, you know, we talked about plenty, that's not my focus. And so I'm trying to figure out the showdown, you know, the showdown side of it. And I haven't figured it out yet, but the data and the analysis and stuff, I have a, a guy who I work with, his name is Brennan Ruby, I think, uh, at the DFS advisor on Twitter. And he does some sports card stuff for RG. He does a little bit of, uh, of everything, but he does awesome work helping me with some of the, uh, data viz stuff and data analysis. And it's great data. And then we do um, a, a, a few other things. I talk about, like you said, Q hunting with Squirrel Patrol, which is a similar, you know, kind of concept to what we're we're doing here. But obviously about uh, each slate and how we're attacking it from a leverage perspective. 
And then I do a similar article where I'm kind of walking through how I'm attacking a slate, you know, breaking down a slate and, and constructing a uh, properly leveraged tournament team. Okay, so check that out at Roto Grinders Premium because I'm there also. I mean, yep. I'm, I'm doing a lot of the, the more the, the the free shows, the ASA show, the Showdown shows, but I'm always in the Roto Grinders Discord because people ask about coaching and stuff. So if you're gonna take, if you obviously if you want me in your pocket, you buy the 15 hour audio course and you could let you could re listen to it. It's evergreen content. It's the same thing that I did in poker. I've read Theory of Poker. I've read Small Stakes Hold'em. I've read all the 2 plus 2 books, Harrington on Hold'em. I've read them numerous, numerous times, multiple times, because you're always going to learn something as you play of like, am I doing this more? Am I not doing this enough? Oh, now I understand what they were talking about here because I had a hand that that applied to. Like, you'll get a lot out of it. But uh, if you want to ask me any, like, actual questions, you could always sign up for Roto-Grinders Premium, and I'm in the Roto-Grinders Discord. And uh, if you ask me, uh, do I play this guy or this guy, or do I like do I like this guy? I go, I don't like anyone. That's typically my response. Like, do you, do, do you like do you like so-and-so this week? It's like, I don't know him. I don't know. I, I've, I've never had lunch with them. I don't, I don't like anyone. What does liking people have to do with anything? I don't know. As long as they give me fantasy points, I love them. Right? That's all that matters to me. Right? Right. Okay, so so uh, I think this was a good good first first show. We'll be talking about subjects like this. You could email in questions, questions at theoryofdfs.com. If you have a question about a previous slate, like not an upcoming who to play. We're not doing any of that crap. Uh, like the decision that you made on a previous slate or a, even a lineup that you had in a contest and you're like, am I properly, you know, if, am, did, did, did this make sense? Or just if you need clarification, on subjects because we talk about things that maybe a lot of the the audience like doesn't does, doesn't know about variance and ev maybe maybe you need a little bit more explanation of that uh so just email those questions in questions at theory of dfs.com and eric, and eric left right i don't know where he went but he left he's sick of your questions he's sick of my questions So this has been the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports podcast and YouTube show. Subscribe there. Subscribe on iTunes. And uh, we'll see you next week.